You are listening to Season 2, Episode 21 of the Faith Over Breakfast Podcast. Alright, this is Faith Over Breakfast, and my name is Eric Seaman, and I'm standing, sitting, and rolling over across from Andy, who's staring at me like, you're not doing any of those things. No, you're only Who is pastor of Mission Church. Yep. And we answered a big question. Who do we listen to when they preach? Why do we... Well, it's what kind of preaching do you like to hear? That's very articulate of you. Was it? Okay. Well, that's that was my question. That was your question. A good question, apparently. Yeah, I think I think it was interesting. And hopefully, um, as you listen to it, you'll you know be able to yeah think through why you listen to what you listen to, why you're bored when you're bored. Um, you'll get some insight into why we are as boring as we are when we preach. If you go yeah. to our churches, yeah. Um, or why every once in a while we get it right. So, hope you. Uh, well, Eric, uh, here we are, another uh, faith over breakfast, and uh, you're wearing flannel. I'm wearing flannel. You're advertising Arizona. Yeah, you're wearing a Zoo York flannel, which is kind of a uh, streetwear. Yeah. This is not. I didn't see this coming. You didn't. No, I didn't uh-huh. see really anything coming. I wasn't thinking about what you were gonna wear. Oh. Right. No yeah. plaid jacket. Yeah. No bandana. No bandana. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, who knows. And, um, yeah, we're here, and uh, we have discussed this topic about 0%. I texted you. I like this, this is a... You did? Yeah, I thought a lot about it. Well, thanks for affirming that with silence uh, when I texted you. you this, know, is, this is an issue we're going to have to work through. We can work through it right now, because Monday, when you text me, it's my day off. I actually oh. put my phone away almost the whole day and didn't look at it. That's good. So in the evening, wow, I started really out with texts to people. Texts. Texts. That's the texts. plural for texts. 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 I said that's the <laughs> people. Is that, are you saying that that way because of your Zoo York yes, flannel? totally. The texts. Texts. Okay. Well, anyway, so uh, so you like the topic. Good. So we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Great. I might take it in a different direction, but I'm going to talk about it. That's fine. Not that's what, cool. that's what we always do. So, because we're not planned, because, as many of you know, if you follow us along here, here's the idea, is we sit down, we don't plan, you just get to hear two pastors talking off the top of their heads, which has its place, I suppose. Uh, you're loaded up with some first watch coffee, that mean you went out to breakfast? I did. Oh, with? Myself. With yourself. Because I cleared my schedule this week. I have this new thing I'm doing where every six weeks. I cancel most of my appointments. That doesn't mean I don't meet with people because other people will fill in some of those slots. But I have such a tightly packed schedule. I cleared it out, and I'm just trying to do some studying and catch up on things. And so I'm going to do this every six weeks. It's just going to clear the schedule and be able to reset myself. Wow, that's cool. I have not done that. So here I am. Yeah. You're the only one that I actually didn't cancel. Because wow. I love this podcast. It's so fun to do. Whoa. That's cool. Well, I swung by Chick-fil-A after taking my daughter to school and had the old uh, chicken bagel sandwich. Chicken bagel sandwich. Multi-grain bagel that makes you feel a little healthier, though you know it really isn't. It's, well, let's just talk about Chick-fil-A, because they you know, get thrown out of the bus a lot. But oh, do they? in all of these storms, usually when there are people in trouble, it's interesting. Chick-fil-A usually opens up their restaurants, and oh, they yeah. tend to give away a lot of free food and let people stay in their places. 
everything we were asking Joel Osteen to do back in the day. Yeah. Chick-fil-A is doing Chick-fil-A's it. Chick-fil-A's been doing it. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. Yeah, and the chicken is delicious. I mean, that's, to me, the big question. If uh, if this wasn't a Christian-owned company and the chicken was equally as delicious, I would go there. Yes. So I am uh, thankful you, for a good piece of chicken. You are. That's really what it's about for me. <laughs> and I like equal opportunity chicken. Yeah, yeah and I like the pickle. You like the pickle. I hate the pickle. Yeah, I love the pickle. I, I will would, put the pickle I on could my go for one sandwich. more pickle. If, if we can, go together, let's put your pickle on my sandwich. You can tell him one more pickle. I'll give you one more pickle. That's probably true. Yeah, That's a lot pickle. to remember. Extra pickle, please. Extra pickle. Okay. Well, um, yeah, so I went there, and it was great. You know, there's a new one opening up Thursday here in oh, town, right. and they're doing the 100-person campout in the lot, and my daughter, who's old enough to be into, she wants to watch YouTube constantly, and what she wants to watch on there are people doing 24-hour challenges, mm-hmm. which means they, like, sit in the bathroom for 24 hours or something, which sounds terrible. But um, but I saw that they were doing this camp out in the parking lot, and I was like, hey, you know, do you want to do a 12-hour challenge that's an actual one with a bunch of people at Chick-fil-A? And she does. And it's Wednesday, which is a school night, and we're going to go for it. Awesome. And you may not get in, so we might, you know, but check in with me next week. I'll be very tired. Yeah. Probably, because it's, it's going to get super cold. Because our podcast will be the night before. Oh. Or the day before, because we don't do it at night. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So it, so you'll need to get some extra sleep. Yeah, and it's supposed to be like the coldest night of the week, which makes me think <laughs> maybe a few less people will show up. Which One might can be. only hope. But everybody's probably saying that. Yeah. Anyway, um, there you go. Chick-fil-A. Five minutes of Chick-fil-A. Let's move on. Um, so the topic here was, I, this is where I was coming from, is I wanted to know what kind of, how you like to be preached to. Yeah. Not like, you know, it doesn't need to be like name your favorite preacher thing, but like what is it, and I guess you could flip-flop that. What do you not like? Like when a preacher... When you go to another church and a preacher does this or that, what, do you, what bugs you? Interesting. Well, I mean, are you asking that question now, or do you want to pontificate on what you like? No, I'm asking you. I ha- I actually have not formulated my thoughts on this. I will be just talking. Just react to me. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, somebody who has spent 17, 18, um, maybe 20 years talking in front of people and preparing his own speeches and things like yeah. that, which means... I've studied a lot of speakers and how they speak and that kind of thing. So, And knowing probably, you, you've done a lot more of that than me. You've yes. dissected what other people do. Yes, I do do that. And so... Do-do. You said do-do. I do-do. So sitting in an audience, it's very hard for me to not dissect what they're doing yeah. and how they're doing it. And so what I've noticed... So here's... Let me just give like a general... Here's what I think is bad about the way people speak okay. and the way we have created that as Christians. We're going to talk just about Christian speaking. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sermons. have, but I'm, but, you know. Because yeah. we have a culture of, at some level, this thing that you've probably heard, that I need to go to church and get fed by yeah. the person speaking. So yeah, the, which so is speaker, why both of our churches have meals, because you can't make that excuse. <laughs> Right. You, you are got, being fed. You got fed. Like, I don't care what, you, <laughs> what the preacher said. You got fed. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I never thought of that. That's a great point. I love it. Uh, and it's totally thrown me off. I feel uh, like I didn't get fed. 
did you did you miss the the yeah. salad out there? Did you did you not have the lasagna? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so so we have this expectation, and we're analyzing the speaker to how he emotionally makes us feel. Right. Um, and so, but also, we really have created a culture of more what I would call uh, an educated sort of uh, seminary or college-oriented speech. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for someone to go, a certain segment of us are looking for someone to go verse by verse, and really dig into things and bring out all the meaning, all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing. I've sat under some great speakers who do that. Right. I don't know anything they said. Right. You don't remember. I don't remember it at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, and the reality is... I remember very little of what I've heard. Yes. Yeah. And the reality is, is that you will remember and put into action in your life the first five minutes of what you hear and the last five minutes of what you hear. Uh and so I have changed as to what I enjoy. I enjoy somebody who is able to grab my attention for the first, you know, five to ten minutes and really tell me what I need to know, which then at the end can pull that all in and help me understand where I'm supposed to go with my life. So why bother with the middle? Well, here's the thing. So let's talk about two different speakers that I think are fascinating that kind of studies on that. In okay. The One is John Piper uh-huh. and the other is Andy Stanley. Sure. So John Piper, in general, is a really bad presenter. Um, yeah, he's not. He's these are not excellent speeches, right? And I don't remember anything he's ever said. And I've listened to a lot of his sermons. But the reason that I remember things that he says is he's smart. They put the entire sermon onto the onto the website. Yeah. And he's created a culture around himself where he writes lots of books. Right. So if you begin to listen to Piper. You, and you study Piper and you read his sermons after you've heard his sermons, then you begin to learn the content that he's trying to present to you. And I, and I do actually remember some things he's said, and it's usually sometimes his his analogies or, you know, sometimes they're a little odd. Yes. But I actually remember those. Like he has this one of like the holiness of God, which is a famous sermon in which he talks about trying to describe a rabbit um, and explaining why we can't sure. uh, explain God. Yes. And I've never forgotten it. And I heard a, a message not too long ago where he talked about how being God being the light was different than IBM personal computers. And he went off on this weird little tangent. Sure. But it, it actually, that actually stuck in my head right. because the IBM personal computer computer oversells itself and then it turns out you have to buy all these other things and everything isn't included and he was saying god is is not doing this he does deliver on sure. what he promises anyway so that's no, and, and i would agree with you and yet some of that is uh that's where piper has is it's not that's more the exception to piper than the rule he has good things but he's yeah. more academic and the everyday joe yeah. sitting in the in the audience may remember the rabbit one because that's a good analogy Whereas with Andy Stanley, he does he's a master speaker. Yeah. Now, content-wise, if you're looking for a theological... Yeah, there's very kinda, little there. Well, there is a, there's actually a lot more if you listen to his sermons, but... Yeah, he, I, guess, I, I guess I'm saying, even by design, he sure. only tries to focus on one thing per sermon. Yes. Right? Yeah, so he doesn't try to unpack right. a lot. 
So he did a sermon. Now he does he does sermon series, and he never does them more than four or five times. He did a sermon series on uh, judges, uh-huh. where I who've read judges a ton, yeah, uh, don't remember judges. I mean, judges has so many stories, and yes, yeah. I've preached on a lot of them, so I remember them because I'm the speaker, and I've had to study them yeah. in detail and explain them and get people. And when you to do that, them. yeah, right. which is why you can't really judge your own stuff because right. you spent all a no, whole I, week or three. Sure. Soaking in it, yeah. yes, so, it's clear so to it's, you. It's very different, uh, but he brought things to light because he uses these images. So, like, if you know the story at the end of Judges, where the prostitute or the woman, the woman is chopped up into a ton of pieces. Well, he used this, you know, idea of bedtime. His whole theme was that Judges was bedtime stories and how horrible these would be as bedtime stories for your children. Right, and then he began to highlight them. And so it was like, you know, so-and-so in the chainsaw massacre. And, you know, like how much that... Well, it brought judges to light. I remember a lot about judges just because of his sermons. But it was, but I could have listened to the first 10 minutes and got all I needed. Yeah. And then I leave feeling inspired. So when I sit down and listen, I tend to want to listen to people... Like if I'm going to listen to Piper or I'm going to listen to somebody who's going to give me a more meaty, long sermon... I'm going to need to listen to it four or five times. Yeah. Um, and I think like that. So when I go in here, if I go and I have no relational connection to the person, I'm going to sit down and listen to them. I don't want to listen to a Piper sermon unless I'm going to a conference. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's targeted at me understanding some ideas and, and maybe having some, like it's a pastoral sermon. It's supposed to be academic. It's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so I think, Partly my thing is I I believe that Christians like pastors have given up like an opportunity that they have to really teach people things. Um, like for instance, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. What do we really remember about that? Well, we remember the Beatitudes, which are the very beginning of the sermon. And even though it's not really the end of the sermon, like the Lord's Prayer is at the end. Like that's these yeah. are the two pillars. Of, of that that sermon, which kind of gets me here. Here we go. Other than you can react to all this, but kind of speak to the idea of discipleship because if speaking is discipleship, and yeah. here's where I think we've kind of screwed everything up, is that in Middle Eastern culture, if you were to say like if you got up and you're like, okay, so we're going to talk about X thing in in scripture where you guys are in First John now, and we're going to talk yeah. about what it means to walk in the light. And you tell this amazing story about walking in the light, and then you begin to apply it to Jesus and what he has to say in John 1, or First John 1. You would pause in, in Middle Eastern culture, and everyone would get in, in, up in groups, and they would practice your story. And they would get your story down perfect, and everyone would help you, help, you know, tell your story about the light. And they would talk about Andy and Andy's experience in the light. And then once they got it down... They would stop, and you would begin to tell the rest of your sermon. And then once that chunk was over, they would practice it. Because their whole job is, because it's an oral, you know, culture, you want to be able to tell the story perfectly and pass it on. Mm. Whereas we're just, like, continually bringing in information, bringing in information, bringing in information. Um, and, not, and not only do we show up to church and get information, we're, we take a jog all morning for an hour, and we're listening to someone talk in our ear, and we're... Yeah, yeah, it's constant, right? Right. Every time we jump in the car, podcast on or radio or or music, which is all sort of information in my ear. 
Right, and here's the thing. If you tell the rabbit story in our culture, so you tell John Piper's rabbit, you need to say that you heard John Piper tell this story about this rabbit. And so, because we are so much uh, built on original, like yeah. it has to be original. And yet, Christian culture, nobody went and said, no, you know, original. Yeah. like, this is copyrighted by Jesus. Yeah. They just said, I heard Jesus saying, blah, blah, blah. You can say, I heard John Piper saying, and then you can tell the story as your own story. Like, that's what Christianity is all about. That's what discipleship is about, is you giving a beautiful illustration that somebody else gave, and you do it right. in your way, and you offer it to people, and hopefully they take it, and they offer it to people, and it continues down the line and training. Yeah. So I like pastors who are actually repetitive, telling me the same things week from week. Yeah. Coming out at different angles. That's something I've I've noticed. Uh, so I decided to listen to a lot of Tim Keller, and I know uh, it. I know it. Master. Yeah, and I know it oozes from, but it's because I'm I've decided to do that, and the reason I decided to is because I feel like he is speaking to a segment of American culture that most pastors aren't, and I thought I need to learn how to do that, so I'm going to listen to somebody who does that a lot. So. But when you when you start to listen to him a lot, and a lot of his sermons aren't even available for free, so I have you know I haven't listened to anywhere near the catalog. I mean, he's been preaching since the '80s. Um, but yeah, you hear the same illustration, you know, and he'll even say at his church, you know, oh, forgive me, I you know you, we hear you hear this, you've heard this before, but you know, and and over and over and over, uh, and then if he goes to a conference, he's using the same story, you know, and I. And I realized, yeah, he must he must know that you throw it out there one time, doesn't stick. But you throw it out there 25, 30 times, and then somebody goes back and listens to it again. And you know, then you might, it actually might get stuck in somebody's head, like this idea, right? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, so I, I would, my argument right now would be is that Tim Keller on the East Coast. Yeah is speaking to a group of people that no pastors are really speaking to. Erwin McManus on the West Coast is Probably speaking true. to a group of people that nobody's speaking to. Yeah. Both are master presenters. Yeah. Like when you watch them, just for their presentations, they're very different people. Totally. One's kind of a, you know, he's Hispanic, he's Cuban, I think, or, and, and he's got... Erwin? Erwin. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. He yeah. makes jokes about his name. But if you, you, know, you look yeah. at him, he's definitely, Something. you know, South American. And uh, he's not Cuban. He's a... Uh, Nicaraguan. I don't remember where he's from. The cultural sensitivity level here is very it's low. Really low. Yeah. Right? I can't remember. But you know, and and he's and he's about the way he yeah. he looks. It's L.A. right, and then sure. you have the kind of the frumpy professor, you know, yeah. New Yorker, right. definitely in his culture. And then I think probably in the middle of the world, you probably have people like uh, what's his name from the Village Church, Matt Chandler. Uh, Matt Chandler. That's kind of. Probably more Midwestern speaking yeah. to, and he's and he's directly. I actually haven't listened to that many Matt Chandler sermons, uh, but I went. I listened to one. I did a wedding in Phoenix this weekend, and I listened to several different pastors just to on my way there and back, just to kind of try some stuff out. And in this one sermon I listened to of his, he was very direct in saying that he was speaking to people in Texas who by and large assume that they are Christians. And he, yes. So because of that, there are a lot of debunking of Christian myths in the sermon and a lot of challenging, like 
maybe you're not, you know, like just because you do this and you go here doesn't mean, and he said, he's like, look, we're in Bible Belt, Texas. So he knows who he's talking to, right? And Keller is absolutely not talking to those people. So he's not using assumptive language. He's presenting this potentially for the first time. And I actually have never listened to Erwin, Erwin McManus, though I'm familiar with him, but I haven't. Ever you should. And because what I like about Erwin is that here, here's the thing I like about both Andy Stanley and Erwin, and those are probably the two people I tend to listen to because of their capacity. They're like yeah. other master speech makers. Yeah. Is that particularly in Erwin and less Andy, people all over the world, in fact, theologians, people who are the more Piper-oriented, they're searching him out, and they're trying to figure out why he's connecting so right. deeply right. and how he can keep bringing people into the kingdom of God. Um, and so, like, if you begin to listen to how he speaks, he starts off as a motivational speaker, yeah. and he opens, like, a TED Talk, but then he drives you really hard into Jesus. Yeah. And that's, that's where he's, you yeah. know, managing to to grab people's attention mm -hmm. um and, and and both i think like both uh keller and erwin on either coast like if you listen to them different ways of doing things keller tends to be have a little bit more i would say meat in what he's saying but they both are driving community community yeah. is a big part of what they're talking about and doing life together even in these huge churches we're talking I don't know how. I never knew how big Keller's churches are. Well, and they just divided it into like five churches, and they separated them all because it was too cumbersome. Sure. So I'm then they're probably at the ten thousand somewhere between five yeah, and ten thousand. Oh, it's over five thousand. Right. Yeah. So I'd these are just are big, big churches. But that was cumulatively. So now, yeah. But still. Right. Yeah. So community has to becomes a big part of why they have to speak because you don't feel like you're part of community when you walk into. Yeah. Church of fifteen hundred people. If you're going to one of those, right, right things. So yeah, I don't know. So when I, I don't know, to go back to what I like, it, it depends. If I'm going to church, I probably want to hear Irwin. If I'm studying, I probably want to hear Andy Wright or Keller or Piper or any number. You know, uh, any other number of Bible scholars. I tend to like to listen to this guy from the seventies on YouTube named Bob Utley. Uh -huh. I don't like Bob Utley because he just goes verse by verse. He's a, a phenomenal like Greek and Hebrew scholar and historian, and so he'll just talk about what's happening in each verse, and it's a good way to you know figure out what's happening in a passage from someone who's an expert on the passage. Right. On that. But I'm not gonna. I, he, I've heard him preach at church, and I'm like, oh my gosh, half the people have to be stupid. Right. And and that's you know that's what I've heard about you know if he would go to. Uh, Peterson's church or yeah. being lectures with him, he's so boring. Like yeah. to listen to, um, just not, you know, you, you have that relationship with him. Yeah. So really. But when you know him, you just you knew him. You wanted to hear everything he had to say. Right, or, and that's a big part of right listening to someone is right. knowing them. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I. Um, yeah. Andy Stanley stands out to me. I I can't say I'm like a particularly like a fan but but what you can't deny is that some of his principles for speaking are good you yes. know memorable and portable and um and I, every once in a while i default to his outline and i usually am glad i do when i you know i go well that came across a lot better um sure. but he uh you know there's there's just things he 
and I also haven't listened to that many of his sermons, but the ones I have, you know, I could tell you, like, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Yeah, that's great. There's, you know, he has this whole talk about that. That's more of a leadership principle talk. Sure. But that's his point, and he hammers it in, and I never forgot it. And it just can be life transformative in the moment. And I've exercised it, yeah. Yes. So, I mean, you can't deny the guy knows something yeah. about communicating to people. Uh, I, I went through a real Piper phase, and I went through that because I was in this kind of, I don't know, I was in like a, a smaller denominational church that, well, actually, it wasn't technically a denomination, but it was. But it was, uh, they kind of wanted to be Rick Warren, but they just weren't. And it was somewhere in between, like, mm. kind of old school church and trying to be motivational. And um, and I felt kind of just bored there, I think, truthfully, like, with what I was hearing. And then I started listening to John Piper, and he was just so adamant. And saying things I'd never heard before at the time, like his whole Christian hedonism thing, which he repeats over and over and over and over. And every single book is the same. If you If it's like... Let the nations be glad on missions. It's just the idea that supreme happiness comes from God. Happiness isn't wrong. It's only it's just that it's only found in God for all people. Missions, you know. And then there's God is the gospel, which is a summary of like all these other books, like the dangerous duty of delight and you know desiring God and all that is like or uh, what? No, what's the? Doesn't matter. You know, it, they're all just kind of the same idea, but that was new to me that like this idea that God, you know, that the human desire for happiness had, you know, had a, an anchor in God. I never heard that before. And he just cared about it so much. I was like, wow, he cares. Like, it doesn't feel like anybody at my church cares. Um, so then I, I did that. And then, um, I liked Keller and Martin Bond for a while. And Martin Bond has gone on to, to like seminary work, but he was a pastor in Santa Fe and had a, not a huge church there, but he like Keller talked to the people of Santa Fe, which is kind of like has some Tucson parallels, I think. Sure. So he, uh, he just, the analogies he used very different than what I was used to and appealing to the arts culture. And that was helpful to me. Um, but, but yeah, I, I do, I appreciate, I think, a combo of two things. Like deep, I like to know that the, the pastor has taken the passage seriously. Sure. But I actually would rather not hear all of their thought process. Like, here's why I think this means that, or even when John Piper will work out like the sentence structure and I'm like, I guess that's okay, but help me know what to do. Thank you for doing that work. You know, thank you for understanding the sentence structure. What do I do with it? Um, so I, I like to know that they've deeply reflected, but then I'd like them to give me something I can hold on to and uh, actually use. Right. Well, I think the hard part is, like, I'm the majority of people who listen to sermons are visual learners. Mm -hmm. So auditory learning is their second thing. Yeah. Anyway. And... I'm an auditory learner, and I still have to go back and listen repeatedly yeah. to sermons. And and that was what Andy Stanley changed for me. Is as I listened to him over and over again, I just kept hearing him say, "You gotta listen to my sermon three times. You gotta listen to my sermon three times if you're actually gonna get it." I'm like, so I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right." Yeah. 
Because what he's saying is make this message, what I'm saying to you, part of your culture, part yeah. of who you are. And so I think I like people who tell me up front that what they have to say is important, uh, important enough for it's just not this, hey, half hour talk we're going to have, but it actually applies to this whole community. And we all need to know this so that we can better do whatever the mission is that this church particularly has. Yeah, And then every message is that way. Because then when I walk in and I hear that, I'm like, oh, even if I don't go here, like, I could be part of something. Yeah. And I could be part of these people and what they're doing and where they're going. And that gets exciting. I want to be excited about what God's doing. I don't just want to learn. So if you had to guess, what is the hardest part about being in your church for those who listen to your preaching? The hardest part? Oh, well, I think there's a, a couple things that are hard to listen to me. Um, one is sometimes I will begin to use big words that people don't understand. Yeah. I mean, not theological terms. I get, I've gotten away from those, but, um, sassafras. You know, I use sassafras a lot and people don't know what that is. So just using, you know, bigger words that, or using words that people just don't normally use in there. Yeah. So that's one. I think the other is uh, I can get too many ideas built in some, into what I'm trying to talk about. Yeah. Um, and so it's not always flowing. But one of the, like, both criticisms and compliments I've gotten from my sermons is that one person said, your sermon is like a rabbit hole. Yeah. Start going down it. And it's highly complex, and then so you don't know where you're going, and all of a sudden at the end you pull the you know the rabbit out of your hat, and you're like, oh, well, I think I lose a lot of people yeah. down the rabbit hole. And yeah. I've tried to change that yeah. since that person has made that observation, um, and I've worked hard. I think the last two years I worked very hard at trying to create sermons that people could repeat to each other. Yeah. And tell each other about, and and really articulate what I actually said. Yeah. Because I think the other probably thing that's hard is like you know when you hit passages where you've tried and tried to figure out how you're going to explain this. Yeah. To people, and you're a little confused on it too because sure. it's not, and it seems like everyone else is confused. Yeah. The you commentators aren't saying the same right. thing, and, and you okay. don't want to skip it. Right. You also don't want to be like, hey, like, here are the ten views of this. Right. You want to have a view, but you don't know what yours really is. Right. I'm not sure it's actually relevant, but it is. It's that, like, when you get caught in that in your sermon, and then you're up front, and you see people's eyes starting to glaze <laughs> over. Like, I could get stuck there. I think that's hard sometimes for people. Yeah. Um, but what I've learned is really, if I'm excited about what I have to say, people will listen. I'm not excited about what I have to say. People yeah. don't. Like, if, I, if it's changed me and I'm really excited, yeah. they will overlook, you know, maybe the way I'm trying to talk about it. And because we're an interactive church, they'll ask questions, try to get me to clarify it. Yeah. At the end. So, yeah. I think those are kind of when, when I listen to myself. When I listen to myself back in the day, maybe five years ago, it was so. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure I was saying everything exactly right. Yeah, getting it just and so I, accurate. And then you go back 10 years and you're like, so you spent 
15 hours studying, and now you're telling everybody the 15 hours of study that you did, <laughs> and none of the presentation are structured. Where are we going? What's the application? It's just that's an interesting piece, and something I've observed is like when, when what I've kind of have been growing out of wanting to hear, I guess, is like I guess I already said this, but all of your study is great, and I'm glad you did it. This is saying to pastors in general and myself. But, you know, you did that not so you could just tell me what you did all week, right? You did that so that you could preach. And uh, and that's, you know, I think what I want to receive is not all of your notes and how exactly you thought it through or whatever. Um, I think... But on that note, I think I have this tendency to... Brian keeps going by. Yeah, Brian. Oh, Brian. Oh, Brian. Um, the... That's an inside joke, by the way. Oh, this whole, this whole podcast is very insider. It is. It's insider. So you just got to listen to, so, oh, well. to pastors talking about their job. But I think, I think I want so badly, and I love... When I tell a story, like my, my wife and I have trouble telling stories together. Because I want to start at the beginning and set it up, and then I want the characters to come in right at the right moments and kind of surprise you. I want you to be surprised the way I was surprised, so I don't want to give it away at the beginning, and then I want to finish it well, and I want that all to come together, and that takes work, and it tends to be a little long. And that happens in my, it happens when I tell a story about, you know, the weird you know juggling guy i saw on the side of the road right and that happens when i preach like yeah. i don't want to get up and just say so jesus said this and that and it means this and so here's how you apply it right. to me i want to i want this whole big narrative yeah. to come together and i'm sure that that can be sometimes quite exhausting and it's made for some long sermons i'm right. afraid which um I've heard, but I've heard, wow, that was long. And I've heard, oh, it was long. It didn't feel long. And I assume that when somebody says that, they maybe they're more like me, that they like the whole story. But that's not everybody. Right. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't know. I, I wonder. It must, there, there probably are some folks that are just like, oh, my goodness. Well, I suspect if you told the long story, but you put like two visuals in it, then all of a sudden help. everybody will be like, yeah, they follow you along because there's this like visual thing where you got the attention and then, right. Yeah, and sometimes I, I I don't mind doing that. Sometimes I do. Um, yeah, but there's this other part about telling the story and weaving it all together. That if you, for me, if I like stop and go, okay, so you know, check out this graph or something. Yeah. You know, it kind of derails the whole thing. Um, which though that again may not be the case for others. Right. Well, if you tell a story with a graph, that may be I know. I know. If here's the deal, if I had a person on PowerPoint that could read my mind, and and the image goes up right while I'm telling the story, and I don't have to think about it and say, "Hey, can you put that picture up there?" That like having to do that just derails it for me. Right. Having someone else do it while you're going. Yeah. Like when I was a when I was a middle school director, I had the little clicker, and I didn't like having that many photos, but for middle schoolers, it was very helpful. And, but I liked, 
it was great that I decided. Like, because I would have it very specifically in my notes right when I would hit that thing. Right. And so I didn't have to stop. I would just, like, be talking, and then there's up behind me whatever picture, and it just helped. But uh, we don't have that system, so right. I have to go, hey, can you put the verse up here, please? No, the, the other one? <laughs> you haven't gotten yeah. that advanced yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. It's like, for instance, we are uh, speaking on... I believe it's Daniel chapter four when, when Nebuchadnezzar has, you know, the dream and he goes crazy. Yeah. So every pastor who, I mean, I've been, I've listened to people preach through Daniel. When you get to chapter four, what do you preach? You preach on pride, right? Because there's a big, nice big passage in the middle of a couple right. verses about pride and him looking over his you know, great place. And so what you can do is you can go verse by verse and explain the dream and the significance of the dream and all that, and then Daniel's interpretation, and, and then really like this, this moment of, of really illustrating Nebuchadnezzar's pride, and you can talk about how that, our pride and, and the humiliation, you can go through that, a lot of right. people do. Or you can open up your sermon identifying Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, right? That's his external problem that he can't interpret and he has an internal anxiety because he can't right. interpret it and so he's out of place of, of like loss like he doesn't know what to do well we all feel those things right we're all connected there and so if you open your sermon talking about that right then you have people then you can talk about pride then you can talk about right. all the things in the structure but if you can capture people where they're like oh yeah i need to hear this i know why i'm stuck like, I feel that. I feel stuck in a lot of places in my life with that anxiety. Well, all of a sudden now, Jesus is able to be brought into that story, you know, in right. a different way. Um, and how I'm going to execute the text is different. Right. You know, and then all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar's prayer at the end becomes a very powerful thing to connect to Jesus. And, all that. and you have a, a much easier uh, sermon to, like, get people's attention. Right. Um, and that's something I feel... At least it seems to me that Keller does a lot. Is he'll oh he's a killer at that. Yeah, you'll read some Old Testament passage and he'll and he'll just make this little blanket statement at the beginning. He'll be like, "You see, um, what this is getting at is the deep inner longings of the soul." And you're like, "Oh, it is," you know. And then he just kind of says he'll just be like, "Because uh, they said this, right?" And so th this is the feeling that it's like this and. And it, you know, and, and you're and you're just like, oh gosh, like I didn't realize that that Jeroboam and I had so much in common, right? And then he'll say something like, and there are really three things, yeah, that, that we, and then exactly, and then that's him, like, and, and he'll like, where are these three things? And then he'll say them right in the like three verses. You're yeah, like what? Yeah, he'll go. There's three things here. Here, here's one. Here's number two. Here's number three. The problem, the solution, and how we get it. See, there it is. <laughs> Oh, and then, uh, and then, all right, let's, you know, here we go. Totally. And, uh, you know, whereas I feel like when, when it's just like, okay, so there's a, so Jeroboam spoke and by the word spoke, we have the Greek word this. And what is that, that in, you know, specifically me? And I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, I don't, you know, I don't relate to that. I don't. Right. Right. And I'm, again, it's like, thank you for knowing your word. Right. But what I, right. I'm. When is this going to get around to If you're going to gonna play the Greek word, you better play it well and inside. Yeah, and it better be pretty surprising. It better be the thing where somebody's like, oh, I thought that meant, yeah. you know, it's like when, when you say the, the soiled garment, you know, this is, it's not just like, oh, there's some dirt on your pants. Like, 
this is like, this is like the, the I lost my bowels. Right. You know, like that's your righteousness. Right. You know, you better have a picture. The Greek word this, you know, right. <laughs> and uh, and then the person goes, oh, right, and then it's like, then it's funny. hopeful. Yeah. Well, I, I think the other problem is is that. And I do this, you go back to what the problem of trying to listen to me, or maybe probably trying to listen to you or any creature nowadays, is that we still view ourselves as sort of a hero. So the stories that we tell mm-hmm. are like us, about us, like our experience with this. And I think telling your story is good. Right. But a lot of times everybody in there is going, well, yeah, I, I'm the hero of my story and I've had that experience too. Right. And yeah, they can identify it. But in some ways, it's like if I'm not able to say, no, 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 you guys are the heroes of a, of a story that we're all part of, and I'm going to show you, as we follow Jesus, how to get to where we need to go. Like, if you can change yourself from just being one of the guys to being the guide, like, I really think, like, pastors have to think about being Yoda <laughs> in the story. We have to be Gandalf in the story and stop being, the you know, the hero of the story. Right. I'm just trying to get yeah. something for our Instagram. So Bear what do you think me. like about that? Like, can you be seen as talked about? I take a picture of you <laughs> like action oriented. Ah, ah, preaching. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I think I used to not ever talk about myself. And so, and in doing that, I also didn't prep by asking, how has this landed for me? Right. So I've had to, I believe I've had to insert more of that. And I've encouraged, in our church in general, our other preachers, I feel like the tendency, if we talk about ourselves, it's just self-deprecating. Right. And that's what they mean at some levels. They definitely Yeah. And I do, I can do that too. Um, But we don't ever say like, here's a moment where I saw this or this impacted me or we rarely do that, or especially if it requires vulnerability of us. Like, you know, here's, here's a time where I needed the mercy of God and how it, how it came to me. So I, I've been trying to do that more and trying to encourage it more, but there is a danger of, of making it like the Andy show. Right. You don't want to make it the you Andy don't show want because then people don't know what to follow, where to go. Right. I think, you know, and he's come up a lot negatively and positively on this podcast, but when I started preaching really on a regular basis, Mark Driscoll mm-hmm. was doing it in a different way in the oh, late yeah. 90s. Oh, yeah. And, and what, I mean, he told a lot of stories about himself and his kids, but what was powerful about the way he did things and localizing things is that when he was preaching, he would say things like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you, and then he would name a group of people within his community. Right. The skater, goth, right. crazy people, or the like, you know, the hip, blah blah blah, and then he and then he would speak directly to them. But they were Seattle people. They weren't right. like keep. If you spoke those to Texas, they would be like, none of us are that. He was speak. He was like, he right. knew he had these subgroups, and he addressed them. Yeah. And he talked to them about their particular brokenness and what yeah. is. And I think that's a powerful thing. Is like saying, no, this church has a story, and it has characters in it, and it's going somewhere, and that's important. Yeah. You know, and it needs to line up with Jesus and with this church's particular mission. Yeah. And I think that's a thing that hadn't ever really, I think he was probably one of the first people to start saying, no, pastors actually have to tell the story of their community. They can't just 
be telling the story of the Israelite community or the early church community. It has to intersect. Like our community has to like be part of this story and where is it going and how does it relate to us? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that would be an important part of it. We could go on and on. And we shouldn't because it's been a bit. So let's uh let's wrap it up. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah. And this is uh, fun. yeah. Thanks for talking, Eric. See you next week.